Historical amnesia. That's a term used to describe when people forget major events or trends, usually negative ones, only selectively remembering the past. An example of this I noted is happening this weekend. This weekend marks the one-year anniversary of the protest that turned violent and even deadly in Charlottesville, Virginia last year when torch-bearing white nationalists gathered around a statue of the General Robert E. Lee, who was a slave-owning commander of the Confederate States Army during the American Civil War. The white nationalists were protesting its, the statue's removal while chanting, you will not replace us. In reporting on this last year, the journalist Michael Smith laments how historical amnesia, in this case, fuels, is even used as a tool of white supremacy. And he writes about that scene. More than 150 years after the end of the Civil War, the white nationalists choose to identify with those who took up arms in order to maintain holding people in bondage. When we forget the negative events of our history, a path remains open for more harm and more tragedy. Historical amnesia is nothing new to the human race. There's nothing new under the sun, as the scriptures say. Our faith ancestors, the Israelites, suffered from it as well. Evidenced by passages in their law book, the Torah, our Old Testament scriptures. In the books of Deuteronomy and Exodus, we read, God loves the stranger, providing them with food and clothing. So you also shall love them. For you were once immigrants in Egypt. And we read, don't obstruct justice. Don't mistreat the orphan or the immigrant. Remember how you were a slave in Egypt, but how the Lord your God saved you from that. That is why I'm commanding you to do this thing. God knows our human propensity to forget our past and delivers commands to protect all people from historical amnesia so that we don't perpetuate the sins of the past. So we see the harm that historical amnesia can lead to when we forget the negative, but what happens when we forget the positive events in our past? When we forget the blessings? When we forget what God has done and forget to look around to see what God is still doing? When we suffer from spiritual amnesia? That too can bring great harm. If not physically, can bring emotionally or spiritually as well. And again, we easily find evidence in our faith ancestor story in the biblical witness scattered throughout the Old Testament, starting in the very beginning in Genesis, our passages about how God's people, with whom God has made an everlasting covenant to be their God and for them to be God's people. We read passages how they forgot what God had done, the miracles God had shown them, the rescuing and liberation from slavery in Egypt, 
that God enacted through Moses, the daily food and shelter and guidance that God provided in the Israelites' 40-year journey in the wilderness to the land of promise that God delivered them to. And once in their new home, they again forgot what God had done. When they remained obedient to God's path, they flourished, were content, and had blessings. But once they got into this new land surrounded by other nations who had other gods, they again forgot. For these gods were shinier. They promised more instant gratification. And they quickly bowed down to these gods in hopes for quick relief and quick fixes. And quickly they fell into despair and fighting among themselves, fighting with God. And eventually they landed into exile as foreign empires overtook them and brought them under oppressive rule. Spiritual and historical amnesia is really the whole reason we have prophets in the first place. The prophet like Elijah, who we hear about today. This is God's response to our amnesia. For God desires not one of God's children to be lost. So into the stories of our faith ancestors and into our stories, still, God sends prophets to call us back home. The book of Kings is part of the books that explain how the Israelites got into this mess in the first place, how they landed into exile, and how God sent the prophets to show them the way out and how to live so as not to end there again. God's whole intention with the prophets is for the building up of community and to call God's people, for whom God is very jealous, to call them back home. Elijah, one of the major prophets of God, has been obediently carrying out God's mission. God has equipped him with the skills, with the voice, amidst all doubt he may have had. And God gives him courage and has sustained him so far. But now in the story, we see him running for his life. He is terrified. So let's look at the backstory to see what happened. Famine has been in the land for three years, a horrible drought. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are reigning at the time, and they have begun to do what God said, don't do this. They have begun to follow the gods of the nations, the Canaanite god of Baal. The prophets of Baal number over 400 in the queen's court. And the people themselves have begun to worship this God known as the storm God. They're bowing down and praying, hoping for relief from this drought and famine, hoping for rain. And Elijah tries his best to bring the people back to the one true God who alone can save them. But they won't believe it. So Elijah takes radical measures and he tells those prophets of Baal to arrange, and the people to arrange an altar and a sacrifice of a bull to put wood on it and then pray for fire to come down and consume it all. Pray to the God of Baal to come and prove itself. 
So they pray from morning throughout the day for fire to come down and nothing. And then Elijah, there on Mount Carmel, where they were, goes to the dilapidated altar of God, left in disrepair due to lack of use. He rebuilds it up. He puts a bill there with wood. And then he orders three huge jugs of water to be poured over everything until water is in trenches surrounding the altar. And then he prays to the one true God. And God provides. Fire rained down and consumed everything in sight, even licking up every drop of water. So God has shown that Baal is no God, that there's only one God. And following this, all 400 and some prophets are destroyed at the hand of Elijah. And then Elijah tells King Ahab to get ready because the rains are coming. The drought is going to come to an end. Well, Queen Jezebel heard of the massacre of all of her prophets. And she is furious with murderous rage. And she threatens to kill Elijah. Elijah now runs for his life. He leaves his servant and everything and flees deep into the wilderness where we find him in our story utterly alone and despairing, trying to find shade under this one solitary broom tree, a shrub. Elijah is suffering from spiritual amnesia. He had just seen the most amazing feat of God, the God of Israel, raining down fire in a powerful way. And yet now he's in despair. He's forgotten what God has done. I got in touch with my own spiritual amnesia not too long ago. I am not a Harry Potter fan, meaning I don't know the characters, I've not read the books yet, or seen the movies. But I came to know recently one of the characters, Hermione Granger. Hermione is described as the most clever little witch in the story. She has empathy, she has great integrity, she has decency, and a resolute belief in fighting for justice and fairness. She's extremely smart, but she's also very kind. And she's often the voice of reason in her trio of best friends as they seek to, go to do good. She is all head and all heart. Now as characters go in Hollywood, in 2016, Hollywood voted Hermione the most favorite female character of the top 50 across all demographics. A colleague recently asked me, are you a Hermione? Now let me be clear. Those wonderful attributes I just described was not the reason he asked me if I was a Hermione. That is all true of Hermione, but he, my friend went on to explain that. Hermione also had a tremendous fear of failure. She was that student, probably the annoying one that you remember, who never thought she studied enough or prepared enough, always thought she was going to bomb the exam or fail at this or fail at that. And then the outcome was always fine. 
sometimes better than fine, sometimes the best. But no matter what, it was always okay. So my friend convicted me that day of my spiritual amnesia as I was lamenting about a task I'm entrusted to with that terrifies me sometimes. But if I only pause and look behind me at all the other instances God has called me to do this thing, it has always been fine, sometimes better than fine. Spiritual amnesia can get the best of us. And I wonder how about you? It may be something a little deeper than a Hermione complex. Maybe you have really struggled in your life with gloom and doom. And maybe you have sensed God calling you to something and you know you have the talents for it, but you're still terrified. Even though God has seen you this far, you can't see the way forward. The problem is, when we try to see the way forward, that we're doing it all by ourselves. We will forget what God has done. Though Elijah experienced amnesia as he's laying there under the bush, we still see in him a hair of memory, a shred of faith. He does remember a bit to whom he belongs because it's to that God that he prays, God, I am tired. I can't do this anymore and I don't want to. Just let it all end. Elijah had not gone away completely. He had lived his life in obedience to God, and he showed that even now, in his darkest hour, he still had obedience. God sees, God hears, God knows always. Elijah, exhausted, falls asleep. A tap on his shoulder and a voice wake him up, saying, get up and eat. And he sat up and he sees that God's messenger has left him hot bread and a jug of water. And he eats it, but still famished, he falls back asleep until the messenger again taps him and says, Elijah, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So again, in obedience, Elijah eats. He is refreshed in body and spirit. And he sets out on his journey, 40 days and 40 nights, on into the wilderness, to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God's promises, the same mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments for God's people, better called the Ten Words of Life. For it is a full and blessed life that God intends for each of us. God does not care how we show up, whether completely defeated and despairing, like Elijah, whether just scared of every day, like myself and maybe some of you. God doesn't care how we come, only that we come. God doesn't care. If we are terrified, for God has the remedy, if we only continue in obedience to trust. The gift of baptism today, this beautiful sacrament, reminds us that when God calls us to a path, when we say yes in obedience and faith, we realize we are called into a community of others 
on the same path, bumbling along with their faith or lack of faith. But we're called into a community, each equipped uniquely to do what God has called us. And the stories of our faith ancestors remind us over and over that God will provide everything we need every day. This summer, I experienced the fruits of God calling us onto a path of life, of togetherness. The leadership of the church have started up what we're calling the phone call ministry, something Knox had done years ago. We're throughout this summer, the leaders of Knox want every member to receive a care call, a phone call, just to say, how are you? Not to ask you for anything except how you are doing. And if you answer or call back, if you're not there the first time, they will ask you if there's anything that we as a church can pray for you about. And some of you have responded. And maybe it took great courage to share the spiritual amnesia maybe you are suffering with that you have forgotten that God might still be present with you as you go through a hard health concern or maybe someone you love is really struggling or maybe you're living with financial insecurity. The phone call ministry has allowed us to know how to pray for some of you. Your names will be added to our prayer list. This ministry reminds us we are not alone. Like Elijah, though, we may feel like we are at times in that wilderness all by ourselves. In the wilderness, we may think of as a place void of nourishment, a place of death and dying, where hardly anything can flourish. But the God who calls us to draw closer so God can reveal some wonderful surprises reveals that the wilderness, rather than a land of desolation, may actually be the land of promises for us. The Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years could only think about the promised land out there, forgetting to look around to see how God was giving them food every single day. Elijah's in the wilderness, but God is providing him food right there. To our wildernesses, God comes. Our path of discipleship can be summed up in the words of a disciple of old like this. It is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And sometimes God calls us to give bread to one another, but always God calls us to point to the true and living bread that is Jesus Christ, who throughout the gospel says, Come. Eat and drink. Believe in me. Align your lives in my way. And you will never hunger or thirst again. For I am the bread direct from heaven. From our God who knows exactly where we are and knows exactly what we need. Friends, may we eat this living bread always together. Amen.